This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of Scripture. Christianity did not come uh, in the 19th century or or 18th century, you know, uh, uh, Christianity was in Ethiopia officially as a state religion, I could say, uh, in the 4th century. Um, but like reminding people that it's, you know, before Christianity went to England, it was in Ethiopia. Mm. Uh, so reminding people that there's a huge, uh, a, a lot of um, historical events that happened um in the thir- in the fourth century, I could say uh, between three thirty and uh, uh, three forty one, I could say like this, Christianity was a state religion uh, in Ethiopia. So uh, reminding people that, but also we, we had we had the Bible uh, around that time as well. Uh, hmm. The uh, in Gees, uh, some scholars say that it was uh, Greek was a functional language in Ethiopia before that, uh, but. Uh, uh, between uh, fourth to ninth century, we uh, we had we had the, the whole Bible. So reminding people that it's uh, especially in the West uh, that Christianity was uh, a non-Western religion before it, right. <laughs> uh, before it became dominant in the Western uh, uh, hemisphere. Could we push it even further and say that whatever my Christianity looks like in the West, it, it's actually because there's an Ethiopian heritage that has been in conversation with Christianity that moved into the West. Yes, yes. Uh, like I said, um, uh, so like the so hist- Ethiopian historians, uh, church historians divide uh, even non-Ethiopian churches divide uh, the movement of the church in Ethiopia into two, like the official one. And then an official one. So what you hear is the first king who became a Christian king, Emperor Izana. He embraced Christianity around 341, three, around that time, you know, roughly. Uh, but uh, uh, one evangelical historian uh, by Ashati, he argues that Christianity was in Ethiopia even before that, before it was a, a, a state religion, because merchants were going in. Uh, into the country and out, especially uh, around Adulis and Aksum, you know, ports. Mm. Uh, so yeah. that was like a, a, a hub for merchants, you know. So, uh, so they encountered Christianity before the fourth century. So that's his argument, and it it, it sounds viable in yeah. my in my opinion. Yeah. And Aksum, by that point, I mean, we're talking about big cities that are yeah with you know monumental architecture, you know, small empires yes. essentially. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So to yeah. say that Christianity is moving within those uh, regions is it's not a small claim. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's been this uh, very deep and wide, and of course Judaism has a deep roots in Ethiopia as well, as we even see in Acts eight, uh, is that there's yes. a, there's already Judaism, uh, or at least God fearers, Jewish God fearers, coming out of Ethiopia uh, up to the temple. Um, what do you think are some Distinctive, because when I think of Ethiopian church, I think of obviously the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, 
which I think has the biggest Bible of all of them. They take they take more of the text in the in their Bible than any other uh, tradition. Um, yeah. But outside of that, what do you see as the kind of um, the main form of Christianity that Ethiopians practice today? Um, even if they're Orthodox, maybe that's that's not exactly what they're practicing, or they're practicing some other uh, form. But or, is it evangelical? Is it Catholic? Is it Orthodox? Is it some mix of those? Predominantly, uh, Ethiopia is still an Orthodox. Uh, predominant there, it's Orthodox uh, Ethiopian Orthodox Tawahedo uh, uh, um, believers. So that's the dominant one, and then the second one uh, is the Protestant. Uh, uh, church. Oh, really? Uh, we call it Protestant, yeah. Uh, but it doubled during the communist region in the 90s, you know, uh, be, through persecution. Uh, I think it was about 10 million. Now it's now about 20 million. Mm. Um, so uh, it's growing. So that's the second largest Christ, uh, Christian group in Ethiopia. And the third, and I think a minority Christian group is the Catholic. Mm. Uh, uh, the Catholic uh, Church is the minority. Um, group, but still, there is a, a, a strong minority Catholic Church in Ethiopia as well. Hmm. Um, so, so the the predominant the predominant one is the Ethiopian Orthodox Tawado Church, um, and and uh, um, you might uh, so Tawado means you might ask me uh, uh, in the, in the name is uh, the distinct feature of uh, Ethiopian Orthodox Tawado Church is Christology. Uh, mm. Which is closer to the to the uh, Alexandrian Church, you know, it's the uh, the oneness of Christ. So right. they don't like the Chalcedonian kind of Christology. So uh, which says like one person, two natures. Uh, sounds like a heretical right, in the right. language. Right. Uh, so so that's kind of distinct. But uh, um, so it's called Ethiopian Orthodox Tawahedo Church. Tawahedo means unified, uh, unison, okay. or one. So. Yeah, uh, Dr. Vince Bantu. I'm not sure if you're uh, familiar. Yeah, but he, you know, he's a he's a fellow for the Center for Hebraic Thought with us, and um, and he's, you know, convinced me that there there is like a lot of conceptual problems that need not be between the Western and the you know North African and um, Ethiopian and Orthodox and Eastern churches. That the, there might be linguistic differences in the the dominance of the Greek discussion uh, kind of forced other traditions uh, to be to, I guess have confused discussions between the East and the West if you want to put it crudely that way. Is that how you see it in the Gez discussion as well? Um, so I'm I'm talking as an Ethiopian and as a Protestant, um, but also grew up in um, I'm, I'm, most of my family members are in that tradition. Um, I, I think there, there should be a nuance, uh, to be honest with you, um, because you could find different expression of Christology within the Orthodox Church. Mm. I mean, if you study the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, like from the, uh, educated EOTC member, EOTC Ethiopian Orthodox Church members, uh, to the grassroots level, you could find different, uh, expressions of Christology. So sometimes it's really hard to pinpoint what, mm. who, what, uh, uh, who believes what, to, but in general, the overarching um, argument is the Ethiopian Orthodox Torah Church doesn't like the expression of the um, the uh, Chalcedonian Christ, um, Christology because, yes, true, linguistically, because if you say one person has to have one nature, right? Uh, so that's like if you have a nature, you are one person. 
so uh, so I mean, there's a debate: is it monophysite or miaphysite? Right. You know that that. Uh, uh, so there's a these huge are all debate. very nerdy uh, Christological debate terms. Yeah, uh, but the, the but I would argue yeah. that yeah, but I would argue that you could find uh, both, even Eutychianism in there. Uh, to yeah. be honest with you, even a little bit of Chalcedonian in some circles mm. uh, within that that, that that segment. But in general, the official expression of the church is is uh, miaphysite. Uh, which is the, means one 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 nature, right? right? Yeah, one right. Yeah. So, um, uh, so they don't like the term monophysite because it's it has a historical baggage with it. So, uh, of her, uh, heretical teaching. So, and I think your average Christian, at least in America, is now going. I've never heard any of these terms before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I translated. Yeah. <laughs> so. But but these are uh, these are very historically loaded uh, debates uh, that yes. happened in the first few centuries, trying to figure out yeah. not who Jesus was, but kind of what he was, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And how yeah. how did he relate to his father? How did he relate to the Trinity, etc.? So yeah, so, yeah. Um, so in saying that the East or the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is Christologically focused. It's they're very concerned that you get this this correct about the nature of Jesus conceptually. Um, there's there's yeah. gonna be a problem. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, I do want to talk to you about this uh, little book that you wrote, uh, the Bonhoeffer of Africa, which is about Gudina uh, Tumsa's life. This uh, I don't remember what his first name is, but the Reverend Gudina Tumsa. Who uh, you you showed had this very heavy overlap with both uh, Bonhoeffer and uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King um, because they had similar lives, similar persecutions, and and I'm not sure if you made the claim or that anybody's made the claim, but uh, a similar theology emerges uh, as you see this man identify, and whether where the causation is, you know, maybe is beyond the scope of what we can say. Um, I think, well, well. first of all, I, students, when I tell them, I don't know, this comes up every once in a while, maybe in a church history class, when I say, well, you know, Ethiopia used to be a communist country. And I can't tell you how many students are shocked by that fact, right? <laughs> and yeah. I, 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 I randomly remember this, you know, being a kid who grew up in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, they show pictures on the news of, you know, the communists have come into Ethiopia or whatever. Um, or communists have taken over. So can you describe the kind of persecution that Tumsa is experiencing and kind of how that shaped him theologically? And uh, I, I guess we should also talk in at some point in here about the evangelical church within um, within Ethiopia and how they related to the mainline church. Yeah. Um, so Gudina Tumsa is not uh, unique in, uh, in experiencing persecution uh, uh, during his period. Uh, during his lifetime, because a number of uh, Christian leaders were killed um, uh, between 1974 and 1991. Mm. Uh, so that's the fall of communism in Ethiopia is 1991. Uh, between that period, uh, yes, Ethiopia embraced the ideology of like Marxism and Leninism uh, through literature uh, uh, and mm. also through, I mean, the government. But uh, um, um, I think, I, as I've argued in the book, um, uh, I've, I've shown that in the book, um, a number of students were fed up with the previous, you know, feudal uh, monarchial, the last uh, Solomonic dynasty that Emperor Haile Selassie 
uh, they were fed up with that government. So they kind of embraced wholeheartedly this communist kind of ideology. Um, and then uh, with that comes like denying the existence of God. Uh, 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 and then, you know, um, the church were closed and leaders were killed and persecuted. So as, I, as I've shown in the book, the, 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 the persecution in Ethiopia had two fronts. The first one was physical persecution. Mm -hmm. You could be imprisoned, uh, um, tortured, um, uh, or find, I mean, the, max, the, the ultimate one was you could be killed. Uh, so Gudina is one of those martyrs in Ethiopian history, uh, recent church history. The second uh, uh, persecution was ideological persecution. So the, the, the socialist new man, you know, the, you know, there's no God, you know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's bored from the West and, and uh, from I mean, from the East as well, but uh, that God, God did not create human beings, but uh, uh, men and women created God. You know, that kind of ideology mm -hmm. engulfed Ethiopia. So those ideological um, attacks and persecutions, but also physical persecutions. So um, um, uh, Gudina Tumsa um, uh, was a leader of the, one of the Lutheran church, uh, I mean, the Lutheran church uh, churches in Ethiopia, the Ethiopian church. Uh, Church of Makana Jesus, and he um, he was uh, he returned from the U.S. Um, in the I think 1966. He he came back from the U.S. from Luther Seminary in Minnesota, and uh, and he became the general secretary. But by because the church was not ready to withstand this ideology, the uh, communist persecution, um, he kind of stepped in and then helped them to. Um, you know, to refute this uh, ideology and false teaching that's uh, creeping in and especially uh, taking over the youth. Uh, so he wrote papers, presented, uh, conducted seminars and Bible studies. So that kind of formed his, one of, one of his theology is, uh, emphasis of theology uh, is, is the existence of God. So mm -hmm. he, he did a paper on unbelief, uh, uh, on socialism and Christianity or Marxism and Christianity. So that kind of, formed uh, that, that experience formed his theology of God. You know, God exists and he's near. Uh, he's not far away. Uh, uh, we can pray to him uh, and we can talk about him through evangelism. So uh, so his doctrine of evangelism, his doctrine of God, and, and uh, ultimately his doctrine of suffering came out of that. Um, but he, as you pointed out, he was also influenced by his time in the U.S. Um, as, a, as a Bachelor of Divinity student. Uh, um, he read Bonhoeffer, and it's in the 60s, so, you know, the time in the U.S., it was uh, a turbulent time. Right. Right. Uh, so he learned a lot from um, Luther. Um, yeah, uh, and then Bonhoeffer, definitely, you can see uh, his uh, writings on the church, uh, uh, and he's influenced by that. So... I mean, that experience shaped his theology as well. How do we respond to current issues with the scriptures uh, faithfully? Uh, um, and then uh, that kind of formed his, his, uh, his theology. So he's inf informed by his predecessors uh, and also uh, through the scriptures. Like so, um, so.
the, in, the interesting story in the beginning of the book is that his own family has this tree uh, that seems to be a part of like syncretistic worship of some sort. Uh, and he goes and cuts down the tree, which I thought was great that you included that story because for me, I was like, oh, right, that tells me about the kind of guy who's ready to do the work, the theological work that he needs to do for the sake of the church. A very Gideon moment. He paid the price. He was ostracized. He was ex uh, expelled from the community, and uh, and but he was embraced by um, uh, others, you know, who discipled him. Um, yeah, he um, uh, and I mean he he confronted, you know, the government, you know, uh, religiously, even politically, with, which I don't touch. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, but also um, he confronted even fellow missionaries, I mean, Western missionaries, on their theology approach, you know, paternalistic approach, and and their uh, some of their missiology, you know. So he. Um, um, uh, yeah, you're right. He's, he's kind of bold in, in, in some, in some sense. Yeah. And the, I guess the transformation that he has when he comes to the States and he reads people like Bonhoeffer, I also wonder, uh, if there's a way in which if, I, I mean, I'm just thinking if he's sitting in a typical Lutheran seminary, uh, or Protestant seminary, reform seminary. Uh, most people's theology is not being shaped in the cauldron of persecution, Marxism, uh, the, the, the alienation of the church and society. Um, so I wonder, did you have any sense of how he reacted to kind of like, I would imagine a lot of white Protestants who were thinking theology versus him who is thinking about how to live this theology in this very turbulent, uh, this very turbulent home country that he's going to return to? You mean in, in, in the States or in Ethiopia? In, in the return? States, yeah. I wonder. Yeah, there is not that much written about um, about his stay in the States except um, after he died. Uh, uh, I think Paul, uh, I forgot his name. There's one doctor, um, uh, uh, I forgot his name. But um, there's not that much about him. But they just give um, a testimony of his life uh, when he was... Um, when he was in, in the States. So uh, I think he had one classmate. Yes, I found him. His name was Dr. Daryl Jadok. Um, he, he just said, can I read a brief yeah, yeah, uh, section yeah, of that? He said, Gudina had shown promises in Ethiopia and the same was true here at Luther's seminary. Working in a language which he was not yet completely fluent, lacking the college education that American students had, he did well in his courses, especially during the, that first year, biblical studies. At six feet, feet and six inches tall, he was not only intelligent and intensely thoughtful, but also exhibited a quick wit mm. and a wonderful sense of humor. His deep piety was com combined with a good deal of wisdom about human beings. So uh, we don't hear that much about um, about him, but uh, but uh, this guy was his classmate. Um, so he gave a testimony, I think, uh, posthumously. Uh, but but also we know what he read in the states, you know. So, uh, uh, but not that much uh, on how he uh, definitively reacted among his peer, uh, among his peers, or among his professors, you know. So, but uh, what we learned from um, from the extants that we found was that uh, he was really deeply influenced by what he read about mm. Bonhoeffer and then his um, the civil rights movement in the U.S. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I, I mean, it begs this question 
like why why not Bart? Uh, why not Schleiermacher? If he's you know if he's reading all this theology, why is he attracted to these particular people? And I think the point you make in the book is um, he can identify with them. He has similar shared experiences. Um, and I and I wonder, like, oh, this would be a great person to put in the kind of the trifecta of thinking about theology in practice. Um, but you have this unique situation where he's kind of removed from the situation, finds these uh, voices he understands, and then goes back into the situation where he employs uh, his theology. Yeah, I think I think one thing that. Um that I can think of is because of their emphasis on holistic theology, I think, mm. Um, mm. especially like if you see, uh, if you see um, Bonhoeffer, yes, he's, I mean, he's a theologian, like um, uh, a good theologian. Uh, right. But, uh, right. but also he, I mean, he tries to, he was really attracted with, uh, with what's going on within the, especially the African-American church at that time, you know, like, okay, they, they have, Theology, but they want to apply it. They want to address some social ills in the in their in their uh, in the, in that time in their contexts. But also, if you see Martin Luther King, uh, you can also um, he is trying to apply uh, with the social implications of the gospel. I right. Some people don't like right. that, but like you know, the yeah. embracing the gospel has consequences. You know, you have to live it out. So uh, one of his contributions, in my opinion, one of his uh, great contributions in the Ethiopian church is his emphasis, serving the whole man. He has mm. a paper on that. Mm. Um, so it's, you know, the gospel addresses not just not just your soul, not just your relationship with God, but also your relationship with fellow human beings, you know, um, uh, addressing um, issues, you know, political issues, uh, eth- uh, racial issues, ethnic issues, you know, uh, economic issues. So that's what he tried to do in Ethiopia. I think maybe that's why he was really attracted to Bonhoeffer mm-hmm. and, and Martin Luther King, but also uh, uh, Reynold Niebuhr, right, you know, right, and right, other right. other other theologians as well. Well, and people who didn't have the luxury to live in the fantasy that it's all about personal piety, it's all about my soul getting ordered correctly or going to heaven eventually. But that the systems, the cultural and the political systems are um, are the powers and principalities that the gospel is fighting in that situation. So it makes sense that these men are thinking in a similar way. Um, it's not just the whole body, though. Uh, you also point out how Tumsa um, is really worried about the church being united as well in Ethiopia. So America knows about dividing churches and church splits and uh, arguing with each other. So what was so important to him about the churches being united with one another, both the Protestant churches and the, I guess, the the broader church in Ethiopia? Yeah, um, I think his, um, for his theology of ecumenism uh, is uh, highly influenced by John 17. Uh, that they may be one, you know, so that, that, that drives his, um, his, his, uh, ecumenical approach, but he's also, uh, 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 staunchly Christological. He was Christ center. Like, you know, you can't not bring unity unless Christ is the center. That's mm-hmm. kind of his foundational. So, so that's, I mean, it makes sense because he goes to John 17, you know? Um, so, um, I think, 
Uh, yes, he I, he recognizes the difference between the Ethiopian Orthodox Tawadu Church, even the Catholic Church, and the Protestant, he's, the Evangelical Church, the Pentecostal Churches in Ethiopia. But I think uh, I think because of the time, the times he 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 was in, because it was uh, anti God, anti Church, anti Gospel season. So in order to refute that, he argued that we need to be unified. You need to have a unified front to counter this um, anti-God um, uh, stance uh, in Ethiopia because it was eroding some parts of the church in Ethiopia. Communism was getting in. So um, I think the, the, the main aim, yes, it's Christological. Yes, it's based on um, uh, John 17. But also, it was a, a, a practical thing, you know, like we need to be united to save the youth from a, a communist ideology. Um, so that's that's the number one priority. But he also has step. I mean, he laments later saying like, you know, every denomination, especially uh, those planted by Western missionaries, they they didn't want unity. They just want to like, OK, maintain their uniqueness. Uh, uh, in the Ethiopian context, so they, um, so there was some disintegration in the end, but uh, but his aim was to unify Ethiopia to refute uh, a communist ideology in Ethiopia. Yeah, that was something that seems obvious now that you said it, but I had not thought of it before that it was the missionary, the Western missionary movements that really want to maintain these denominational divides, uh, and so it wasn't until the communists kind of drove out those missionaries. Uh, that they were free to pursue unity in this new way, yeah, which has a lot to teach us. <laughs> yeah, it happened twice, sadly, um, um, uh, during the uh, communist regime, and then also before that, during the Italian uh, uh, occupation, the Italian oh, yeah. uh, for five oh. years, you know, they kicked out uh, American uh, uh, and uh, European missionaries. Uh, and then in the, during the communist region, they did the same thing. But during that time, the churches were trying to come together and do fellowship. So, um, and it's during that time there were like some contextual theologies uh, happening in Ethiopia, like using traditional um, uh, rhythms and songs to, uh, you know, to 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 um, disseminate the gospel um, mm. and address, for example, what uh, Paul Hebert called the excluded middle. That means you know, the spiritual influences, the physical. So mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, addressing witchcraft, addressing uh, uh, exorcism and demonology, all that stuff happened mm -hmm. during the explosion of the missionaries. Now, I'm not saying that the, hallelujah, they should be out. Right. But I mean, they, right. they the missionaries contributed um, uh, a lot, uh, especially in the 17, 18, 19th century, especially uh, with regard to Bible translation. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, your earlier question is like, how did like the, the evangelical movement, uh, the official evangelical movement started in the 17th century with uh, a German missionary called Peter Haling. He came to Ethiopia to work among the Beta Israel. That's the mm. house of Israel, the mm. Ethiopian, uh, uh, Jewish people. So that kind of, uh, triggered the evangelical movement in Ethiopia, uh, um, a protestant movement and his aim was to revitalize the uh, or or reform the ethiopian orthodox church um but uh he didn't he didn't live that long because he died uh, he was killed somewhere uh, mm. when he was coming to ethiopia it was an unwilling experiment but it revealed some fundamental flaws in western missionary movements um 
is not allowing them to indigenize and unify in the ways that they know best. Uh, in some ways, it the worst version of it is it's difficult for Western missionaries to trust the local church after it's been established, right? Uh, and that, and of course, the church—I should say—the new version of the church has been established. Um, I also loved it that Tumza seems to have poured a lot of his energy into young people. He just had that over-the-horizon vision and said, like, we've got to get with these people and straighten them out. Because he saw that the future lies in this, you know, uh, especially university students. Uh, uh, and uh, so what he did was uh, one of his ecumenical approach was like the Pentecostal church uh, was closed because they were really... Um, they were the evangelists in the, in the like their motto was reaching Ethiopians with Ethiopians. So, um, so, uh, so they were very aggressive. Uh, so the government was particularly interested in them. So, mm. so, uh, and most of them were university students. Um, so, but Godina Tumsa gave them a shelter. He, he took them and then gave them a place to worship because the church, uh, they, Indigenous Pentecostal Church was closed at that time. Um, and also the ideology was, uh, like I said earlier, creeping in into the, the system of the university education. So, so he saw a way to minister to them, help them, prepare them to counter uh, this ideology. So, yeah, he was very intentional in, uh, in I, I haven't dealt that uh, a lot in the book, but he was really interested in, in the youth uh, of Ethiopia. Is there a, a deeper, subtle, anti-Marxist streak in the Ethiopian church today? I, I would say yes, but it's not like we don't have... Um, um, yes, the government is secular um, in some ways. Uh, um, but, um, and I mean, you can't... It's, it's secular, like, you know, theological educators... I mean, the school that I teach at is not recognized by the government. You know? mm -hmm. um, I mean, you pay taxes and other stuff, but that tells you that there's a separation between the two uh, for so, so many reasons. But I don't know. Um, I, I would say yes, because it's anti-God. And, um, and uh, like John Mbiti used to say, Africans are notoriously religious. So if you're notoriously religious, you can't hold to this ideology of Marxism, which mm. denies the existence mm. of God whatever that God is, you know, but, um, um, so, so like when we teach systematic theology, we don't start with like, okay, the five ways to prove God exists because people yeah, in yeah. one way or another believe that yeah. God exists. Right, so, yeah. so right. I think the culture itself, um, uh, the status quo is against Marxism in general. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Um, and we like to ask, uh, you've lived in, America for a while? Yes. I, yeah, I did my PhD, uh, my div, um, MDiv and PhD in, in the U.S. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we like to ask scholars not from the U.S. What's the one thing you really appreciate about the church in the United States? And then what's something you're concerned about that as you see it from your perspective? I, um, I really like the churches uh, that we have visited and partnered and, and uh, worshipped in. and. Um, uh, it's um, Americans are easygoing. Like it's you can make friends easily, um, and I have a very good friends, uh, prayer partners, and uh, good friends uh, over the years. 
Um, so I, I like their frankness, like they're open. You can talk about anything, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, even on the plane. Whether you want to or not. So the open, yeah. so the, um, um, I, I really enjoy um, uh, that they, they listen. Um, um, uh, even if they have a the different opinion, they, they're open to entertain, you know, um, they're, um, they're open. So I, I really love that about um, um, Americans. Um, the concern I have is I think there um, Americans are good with, when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, like s- personal sufferings. Like for example, like you know if per- if somebody has a cancer or something, they are really good at dealing with it, mm-hmm. which Ethiopians or Africans are not good at. But when it comes to a theology of suffering in general, I think uh, uh, I, I think I wrote about that in one article. Uh, I think the church should embrace the theology of suffering uh, for Christ as um, as uh, as an essential part of Christianity. Uh, uh, there is a huge emphasis on freedom of worship, freedom of religion, which is good. I'm I'm all for that. I want that, if possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but uh, like I said uh, in my writing somewhere. You cannot, if you want to worship, you should, you should also be ready to receive the consequences of that worship. Mm. Uh, and you have the freedom to worship. Uh, uh, even with a, a prayer ban, you can worship. Uh, uh, but you need to accept the prayer, uh, the, 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 the price of that worship. So I think my, my concern is that you can't have, uh, you can't have both mm. wanting to be, to have the freedom of worship, but also free from the consequences of true worship. So, so the, it's not a fear, but that's my observation. It's uh, I think the church uh, in America needs to embrace that persecution is uh, part of the gospel, part of the call to be a, to be a follower of Christ. So embracing that would be helpful. Uh, you will not be surprised when it comes. Mm. But I admire their tenacity with regard to like terminals. Uh, you know, sicknesses or, or what do you call it? Like, you know, sicknesses that don't go away for a long yeah. time. Chronic so, illnesses. Chronic illness. Chronic illness. Yeah. That's yeah. So they're really good at that. The reverse side here is like, there's a theology of suffering. Yes. I'm a, a Protestant, a Pente or a Christian. So I can, but then when it comes to personal suffering, um, uh, I think we struggle in here, hmm. uh, mainly because of prosperity gospel as well. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Dr. Abenezer Uruga, uh, thank you so much for your wisdom, and we hope to have you back on to talk about what you're actually uh, an expert in, uh, which is the New Testament. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Johnson. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.